Hello and welcome to the MinMac Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Markia Fava. Hey! Suriel Vasquez is also here. Hello. But that's not all. We're also joined by, I will just call you the world's biggest fan of uh, Resident Evil. We have Alex Aniel. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me today. You were on to talk about Resident Evil 3, I guess right when that launched, but it's it's been a little while. There's been a lot of news about Resident Evil, and we just got done watching the Resident Evil Showcase today, focusing on Resident Evil Village and a couple other surprises in there as well. And so we thought we'd call in the expert to really unpack everything with you. But before we even get into all that stuff, what are your bona fides, sir? You literally wrote the book on Resident Evil, yes? Uh, yes, I did. So... It's an exciting time. <laughs> What's the book, dude? Um, the yeah, the book. I I finished writing the book. I finished editing the book. It's actually ready for um, printing, so it should be in people's hands within the next few months. I think uh, the people who backed the book last year, uh, I think they're they're going to get their copies probably around April. Uh, so just a little while longer. But I think it'll be very interesting for people who who want to know how the Resident Evil series was created and a lot of the the interesting challenges that 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 Capcom and and the creators at the time encountered and how they ended up kind of building one of their biggest gaming brands as they went along. So I hope uh, people really like it. Yeah, and this is the part where you say the name of the book too. Yes, uh, the name of the book is. Uh, Oh gosh, it's actually changed a little bit. It's oh. itchy, itchy, tasty, and unofficial history of the Resident Evil series, I think, or an unofficial history of Resident Evil. So for certain reasons, I had to add that little caveat that it's not an official book, <laughs> but... Uh, fun lawyer stuff, huh? Yeah, I mean, there are no lawyers involved, thankfully, but, you know, you got to make... Sh- we got to make sure that uh, the, the the product is represented accurately. So that's kind of the the, the compromise that we came up with. Yeah, well, that's understandable. Uh, okay, we just got done watching Resident Evil Village, the big showpiece, gameplay reveal, all that stuff. Um, Alex, you're the expert, so I feel like we can we can pause on on your hot take. But Surreal, uh, gut reactions to let's just focus on Resident Evil Village for now. What was your gut reaction for everything they showed? Yeah, I was already pretty hot on it, uh, and I do. I, the, I I didn't get like a good sense of if there are any like major um, differences systemically besides the inventory stuff. But I think in terms of showing off the environments that you're going to be doing all that stuff in, I think that stuff looked amazing. I really like the interiors, the exteriors. I'm I'm hoping that there's a lot of like. Uh, not just like Resident Evil 4 where you're like, okay, here's here's the village part. Here's the part where you're mostly in the castle and then here's like the facility. Um, I, I'm hoping that there is a lot, it feels a lot more like kind of uh, traditional Resident Evil where you're, okay, here's the mansion. Here's kind of the section where you have to solve one or two puzzles outside and then you go back in. I'm hoping that that's kind of what they're showing. So you're uh, hoping this village is more of just one mansion? Is that is that your takeaway? Well, like I'm hoping that that there are that you return to the mansion for after going out into the village. I'm hoping that it's not as much of a like a hey, you're going from point A to point, you know, D or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it looked good. They showed a little bit of gameplay. You talk about like those systemic changes. They were trying to emphasize guarding is going to be a big thing, which mm-hmm. looks a little bit silly. It's just like holding up your hands, like don't, don't like attack. Towering, me. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hoping for the well, best, mechanic. Was... Well, that was in Resident Evil 7 as well, so that, that oh, okay. part isn't really 
isn't completely new. Yeah, it's actually like I when I saw them guarding in the in the trailer, um, I haven't I've only seen it once, unfortunately, but it looked very similar to the animation from RE7. So yeah, to your expert take, what what uh, what caught your eye, Alex, in this stream, in the village section, I guess. Um, you mean like the outdoor section? Um, I, I think it looks great. Uh, I think it's it's finally nice to get a more in depth look at the environments, and you know it, it it has a very similar look to Resident Evil Seven overall, like in terms of like the the aesthetic of the engine and and the art design, which which I I really like, and. Uh, the areas also look a lot bigger, which is really interesting. And being in first person, we kind of have a an up close and personal look at the environment. And as people should know, with RE Engine games, there usually aren't really like loading times between areas. So it'll be interesting to see just how expansive these areas can get, and and what they do with enemy placement and you know elements like that. Yeah, it was. Um... I think the detail in that mansion, like around that staircase, blew me away. Um, and it's weird to be really impressed by the visuals of Resident Evil Village so far, while at the same time, something that they treated like a big announcement in this showcase is, hey, guess what, fans? It's also coming to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, which I feel like is a little bit scary. I'm ready for a game to try and rip off the Band-Aid and go for it in the next-gen system. So that... Gave me a pause, but Alex, you, you disagree? Yeah, I mean, when when they first revealed the game last year at the at that PS5 uh, showcase in June, um, I actually didn't really think it looked so much of a leap over RE7 or or the other Resident Evil games that came out in the past few years, like RE3. Like, I mean, it, it looked better in some ways, but um, even that trailer, like, there were obviously like problems with the frame rate. And it didn't really, it looked great, don't get me wrong, but it didn't look like a vast leap over over the PS4 and Xbox One uh, level of hardware. So I, I was surprised that they had only announced it for PS5 and Xbox Series X at the time, but it, when, when they, when they kind of announced the uh the the current, is it current gen or last gen now? I, it, <laughs> it's last gen, right? Last gen, yeah. Yeah, when they when they announced the last gen versions informally at Tokyo Game Show last year, it didn't really surprise me too much. I think I think a game like that would definitely be possible on on PS4 and Xbox One. And I think um, given how hard it is to get a next gen or a current gen console right now, I think it's it's good for those owners. So, you know, they don't have to buy uh, a five hundred dollar system for it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jeff, and what caught your eye in that trailer or the whole presentation here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think visually the game looks good. The I'm I'm really interested in the story and the characters because they just seem they're so over the top and silly. I I still haven't played Resident Evil Seven, um, which I I really want to go and do that right now. But it's it it is that interesting mix of like this game the like the visuals look really great, um, and that's exciting. Uh, but what are they going to do with the story and these characters that I'm running into? Because it's it's I'm uh, it it I mean it 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 look I'm sure there will be plenty of jump scares that will get me to jump, but it's hard to take a character seriously as a kind of horror thing when she's yelling man blood at 
you know, right in your face. These women, yeah, manifesting out of a swarm of bugs, uh, repeatedly are obsessed with the fact that you're a man to the point that it's a little, little much, a little bizarre. Yeah. It could totally be a Gerudo Village type thing where it's like, we just don't see a lot of men around here. So like, and for whatever reason. Uh, so I, mean, I that's probably like their version of like, here's the, the weird cultish behavior that we're getting into, right? Yeah, or maybe they're fascinated by a man being in this village because he's the rare man that's not a werewolf yet. Mm. Uh, Alex, as somebody who's been really looking at this thing very closely, what stood out to you like on the story front that you learned from this trailer that wasn't clear before? Oh, I guess the the motives of the of who, the people who look like they're they're the enemies, right? I like the the first trailer focused a lot on like. I guess the the Chris Redfield reveal at the end of that trailer, if, right. if we all remember, and you know him him behaving in a way that isn't really consistent with his past uh, appearances. Like he may he may have gone heel, he may have turned heel, right? That's that seems to be that that seems to be the assumption people had, but it it's looking like it's a lot more complicated than that. And um, I guess without without trying to spoil it too much, oh. or without trying to delve, delve delve too deeply, I think um, I, I I have a feeling I know where this plot is going. I think there will be like sacrificial lambs, and you know, as you mentioned, definitely like cultish behavior. And you know, just despite the series having gone on this long, um, we've only seen cultish behavior once, like in Resident Evil Four, and I think. Um, that game didn't really take the story too seriously. So it'll be interesting to see just kind of how deep they go with, with the plot. If, if they kind of refer to real life cultish elements, you know, that, that can, you know, make, make for a very interesting and a deeper storyline than what we're used to. Do you think, I mean, do you have a theory for why Chris is acting the way he is and how Ethan's being dragged into this town? And are these bug women secretly a bioweapon or something? I mean, are th is it going to be them backpedaling to more familiar territory? Or do you think this is trying to open a new avenue for Resident Evil? Like, no, nope, F it. There's bug women. There's werewolves. This is completely different from anything before. I would say it's a mix of both. I would say... Um, Every, every, almost every Resident Evil game since RE5 has had some kind of misnomer in the trailer. Um, spoilers if you haven't played RE5, uh, but like the whole Jill Valentine death thing, that was, that was, um, that game's whole, you know, diversion, right? Uh, that, that pan, that, that turned out a lot differently when you actually played the game. In Resident Evil Six, there was a whole thing about Ada being the villain, but it was actually her, um, her, her, her identical clone. So, um, and then with RE Seven, it was like the the supernatural elements that we thought, you know, maybe they were veering into Silent Hill territory. But yeah, th those are all those still had like a very scientific kind of basis to them as far as the way the story explained them. So, I think, I think. Village will adhere to that. I don't think Village is gonna go into um, into territory that 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 Resident Evil doesn't usually go into. Um, I think the I think there's probably some sort of twist that we just haven't seen yet, and, and everything will kind of fall into place. I think that's very Resident Evil, even after 25 years. And I I, I don't think uh, this <laughs> I don't think Village will change that. But I'd love to be surprised. You know, I, I'd love to see. 
if they can push the envelope in ways that no one's expecting, you know, those tend to be, um, those tend to be the most interesting Resident Evil games, in my opinion. Um, like even RE7, like even though I'm, I, I said just now that, you know, the, the explanation kind of fell to what I was expecting at the end. I do think that the way the game was portrayed was extremely surprising and extremely groundbreaking. And, and I had not been expecting a lot of the things that I saw in that game. So I would love to, or I'm actually rather, I'm very excited to see what, what Village does to, to, to defy my expectations, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, we talked a little bit about how so much of it kind of feels similar to Seven, at least from, you know, uh, the skills in the game, stuff like that, presentation. But it does, I mean, the team has shaken up a little bit. I don't know how clued in you are to the actual development team here for Resident Evil Village, but it seems like it has a different director than Seven. It has a different writer, like the writer who was narrative consultant, I think was the official phrase for Seven. Uh, they've left. So the internal team has shaken up a little bit. Do you have any insight just on the new team that's leading this charge over there? Yeah, I mean, uh, a little bit. Uh, I... I think the Resident Evil series, there's such a, it's such a big presence at Capcom now that there's always more than one game in development at any given time. And I think, you know, Resident Evil 7 is a four-year-old game at this point. And when that game was completed, uh, you know, they still had like Resident Evil 2 remake, Resident Evil 3 remake as well. So a lot of the people on the RE7 team either went to that or they went to, um, re3 they went to even games like devil may cry 5 right so i think you know it's very unusual for the same team to go from one resident evil game to another usually people kind of shift around even go to other teams at capcom um and no 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 one's directed a resident evil game twice in a row so i'm, I'm not surprised that resident evil 7's director is not really uh too involved in this game apparently yeah. Usually they like to they like to find a new director who has a lot of different ideas but has enough experience in past Resident Evil games that you know they it's their turn to take the helm. So I think uh for the the director of the game his name is Sato. I think it's Mori Morimasa Sato. Yep. Um I've heard a lot of good things about him from 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 people who would who would know about his work and I think uh he is definitely going to come up with a lot of interesting uh, twists for us to 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 enjoy with the village. Yeah, sure. Uh, so other big things we learned in the showcase: uh, the game's coming out May seventh, twenty twenty one. So earlier than I think a lot of people were expecting. Uh, God, it seems like they've kind of been on an April beat for a while. I'm trying to remember yeah. how typical this May beat is for Capcom, but still exciting to see. Oh, yeah, I, I think. Oh, sorry. I think it makes sense because, like, I don't think they would have wanted to lump um, that too close to Monster March, right? Mm. Yeah, I think I think this was really just because of COVID uh, pushing a lot of a lot of schedules back, um, and you know, this be, this being a next uh, next gen, a current gen focused title, they needed to wait for those user bases to build up a bit. Um, so I think. Yeah, May. No, no Resident Evil game has actually ever come out in the month of May. At least a brand know. new Resident Evil game. Usually, they come out at between September and March. Right? RE three was like April third, which is almost like March. But usually, September to March is when Resident Evil's one through one through one through seven came out. And so, this is a little 
a little bit outside of that time frame. But I'm not complaining because um, we have a holiday here in Japan called Golden Week, which runs from the end of April. And this year, I think it'll, I think the last day is like May 9th. So that game will come out right in the middle of vacation for me, which is the perfect time to dive into a new Resident Evil game, or two of them actually, if, if based on what we saw with the showcase today. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to cover all these village details. Uh, okay, Jeff, um, your eyes lit up like a Christmas tree in our reaction when you saw who now is officially named the Duke, the new merchant for Resident Evil Village. Uh, just describe this lovable rogue for us. I mean, unfortunately, he's a fat guy. There we go. Okay. Is is basically seems like the real, the real genesis of that idea. What if yeah. we had oh, a yeah. okay? So like, it's not the like the unfortunate thing isn't to me that he is like a larger man. It's that I think those characters are usually not handled super well. Yeah, um, yeah, that yeah. It's yeah. I didn't I didn't mean to make it sound like I'm. It it's the unfortunate part is the design process that seemed to have gone into it. It's in very extreme. Of, yeah, we'll see yes. what his actual personality is like. Yeah, I'm just hoping it's not going to be one of those wedge situations from Final Fantasy VII where he's like, oh. I'll sell you bullets if you give me a slice of that pizza. But I don't know if I have faith that they will not try and hit that beat. We'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, in addition to that, they also were pushing. They're like, hey, the game has puzzles, you know, all the, all the basic Resident Evil beats here. Um, and then you mentioned the inventory being like Resident Evil 4 surreal. Uh, but also they mentioned crafting is going to be a component here. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. What do you think of that surreal? No, I think that's cool. I, I I think that's one of the like one of the uh, better improvements they could have made on like Resident Evil Seven, which you know had had like the slot system where you know uh, things still took up like one or two slots depending on how you modified them, and they use that in in the remakes. But I do like I am a big fan of moving stuff around and, and you know like organizing my inventory. Um, and the crafting is, has been in Resident Evil before, you know, like you you put two different types of plants together or like combine yes, yeah. the stock. So that seems par for the course, but uh, yeah, I want to see how big that stuff can get and how you know how they mess around with that, and hopefully, hopefully, um, it it'll lead to more situations where it's like you can kind of you know make choices about like okay, do I want this for because it's really big, or do I want you know like like four grenades or something? Yeah, yeah, I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Uh, they also announced a PlayStation Five demo is out right now called Maiden which it seems like it's separate from the main campaign. You're playing as someone who they're just calling Maiden, and there's no comment, co uh, combat in uh, this demo. And the weird thing is they said they're going to have a demo on the other platforms in spring, but they kind of made it seem like it's going to be a separate demo, that this is just like a PlayStation-exclusive thing. Alex, are you trying to boot up the demo right now? Yeah, I'm trying to look for it, but apparently whenever Capcom puts a demo up, it destroys whatever store is <laughs> we're trying to access. It's, this happened with Monster Hunter, too, on, on uh, for Monster Hunter Rise. Oh, yeah, that wasn't that long ago. People are thirsty for their Capcom games. That's true. Yeah, I don't know if it's up yet. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, very similar to the Resident Evil 7 demo that came out uh, the day that that game got announced at E3 in, in 2016. So I really I really like the idea of of having a demo that's, you know, it's related to the game itself, but it's not exactly what you're going to play when the game comes out, right? It, it, uh, in, in the case of Resident Evil 7, the demo was called Beginning Hour, and right. it served as a, as a sort of prequel to... Um, 
to the events of Resident Evil Seven, but it let you it let you experience the gameplay um, and you know a lot of the early setting in the game. So I'm really hoping that that this demo is just as interesting. Yeah, it's a shame you you need a PS5 for it though, because I mean clearly not everybody <laughs> has been able to get one. So yeah, and it's weird for them to announce they, that that like hey it's coming out on playstation 4 but then the demo isn't available on playstation 4 but i think at this point they just want people sharing great looking screenshots and videos from this thing showing off the environment which is clearly seems like the goal of the demo so far but alex how are you feeling about resident evil 8 where's your where's your hype at for this thing right now okay uh <laughs> that long hiss the long hiss and inhale implies it might not be too high oh no 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 i'm actually i'm i'm quite excited it's just that i um I'm really tired because I had a, uh, it's, it's almost 8 a.m. here, but I actually had a, I had a work call at 4 a.m. And then I, oh. I, I slept for an hour before getting back up for this, uh, <laughs> for this uh, showcase and this podcast. So I apologize. That was actually, um, I would say, personally, I'm feeling very excited because I really did like Resident Evil 7 a lot. And I, I've been, you know, waiting for them to follow up on that formula and and to perfect it even more. And I think a lot of the things that they could have improved on are very much going to be better in Village. Uh, like the, I think it's it's good that Chris has a has a bigger role in it, and I think the the environments being bigger and more open are also going to be things that I look forward to. Um, other things like the music, the, the the graphics are looking a lot better as well. So I'm I'm really I'm really hopeful that that, that village will be a very uh, even if even if it's not the best Resident Evil game ever, I'm I anticipate it'll be quite good, um, especially compared to Resident Evil Three. I'm still I I forgot exactly what we talked about at the last podcast, but I wasn't too thrilled with it. So I think this will be a nice uh, a nice change of pace hopefully yeah yeah do you think this is going to be the end of ethan's story because throughout the course of the story he's slowly turning more and more into a werewolf and that's what's happening here maybe yeah uh that that could be another diversion or it could very well be the end of of ethan's story um though i don't know if they've used uh this 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 in in the english like pr but like in, in in the japanese coverage they keep touting Resident Evil Village as his final story. Yeah. And we're, we're not supposed to know, I guess, officially if it's Ethan's final story or if it's Chris's final story or if it's some other person's final story. So we'll see. We'll see how things end. Um, I, I can't imagine Capcom wants to keep Ethan around too long, to be honest. I don't think, I mean, he's, he's an interesting character in some ways, but he doesn't have the long-term appeal of characters like chris or leon or or jill or wesker so it'll be interesting to see how how this story concludes yeah they do they do a lot of work in mythologizing him a little bit you know like the when you're kind of sneaking by the window they talk about ethan winters as like you know a threat they they know who he is right. versus i think he served his role in resident evil 7 as like an everyman of i don't know i'm not involved with this kind of stuff usually but so i'm in the thick of it and so i think he his impact is diminished when he is kind of someone who's already been through the ringer but isn't like a mainstay like 
Chris or, you know, Leon or whatever. So I almost think they're going to do the Devil May Cry thing of like for the first half of the game or so you're playing as a new character, you know, Nero style. And then they're like, okay, like at some point something happens with Ethan. And then now it's you play the like the second half of the game as Chris. And you're trying to hide down down a werewolf. Yeah, basically like that that could totally be the thing, you know, and Devil May Cry uh, 4, you basically have the boss battle against your other character uh, where you fight uh, Dante as Nero, Nero as Dante. Uh, so they could totally just be using cribbing from Devil May Cry, which would be pretty cool. I, I kind of like that idea in in Resident Evil. Yeah, curious to check it out. May seventh, twenty twenty one. That sucker's coming out. Um, you also hinted, Alex, that this wasn't the only Resident Evil game they were showing off. They officially revealed it was leaked a little bit beforehand, but they officially unveiled Resident Evil Re Colon Verse, which is a competitive Resident Evil game with cell shaded graphics alex give me your gut reaction that to reverse man oh gotta gotta try it before i judge um multiplayer shooter oriented resident evil games don't have the best history um to say the least and yeah, that game, it looks strange. Like even, you know, even even after seeing Resident Evil Resistance last year and, and being a little surprised by that, uh, Reverse, um, yeah, I, I have no idea what they're trying to do with this. It's um, like the visual style makes me think like, are they going to try and position this where it can technically run on the Switch to try and blast it out to as many platforms as possible? But they had interesting phrasing where they didn't say necessarily that it was part of the Resident Evil Village package but they said that Resident Evil Reverse is free for people who purchase Village. So I'm wondering if they're trying to set it up to split off a little bit more than they did for Resistance, because we were trying to remember during the stream, Alex, did they ever sell or release Resistance as a standalone thing? They did not, no. Or they haven't yet, anyway. But, you know, I, I imagine they won't ever do that because uh, they, they, they finished support for that game, so there are no more updates coming out. Probably because this game's coming out, right? Yeah. So they don't want to have too many things cooking at once. Um, yeah, the last time we had a mode that resembles what we're seeing with Resident Evil Reverse, where we're um, like either attacking other Resident Evil characters in, in, in existing Resident Evil environments, was Umbrella Corps, which was funny enough the accompaniment for Resident Evil Seven. So. Um, you know, I'm I'm starting to take a a very dim view about these accompaniment titles, where you know they're 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 their own thing. They're not officially part of either Resident Evil Village or Resident Evil Three or Resident Evil Seven. Right. But they're like coming out coming out around the same time, and you know they don't really have a storyline that that that's worth discussing. So it, it, I don't know the 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 precedent isn't too great. I think, I think the best example of a multiplayer Resident Evil game might be versus mode in Resident Evil five, where you, you're attacking the other character, but the, the gameplay foundation of that was pretty solid, but you know, that was a very, a very minor feature in that game. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they'll get it right this time. We'll see. Yeah. I, I, as much as uh, I, I don't think too much of, of any of the, the like multiplayer Resident Evil stuff, except for actually, yeah, that versus mode in R five is actually pretty cool. Uh, I almost kind of prefer them kind of trying these isolated, like, let's turn, let's try to turn Resident Evil into like a live game separately 
uh, versus like, well, Resident Evil 8 has like these microtransactions and all this XP stuff outside of the game that, you know, let's after you beat Resident Evil 8, there's like an end game, right? Like this seems to me, at least for uh, in terms of like turning a single player game into a live game, like a better answer than something like Avengers where it's like, let's just yes. make them both one game. Yeah, compared to mm. yeah square strategy overall. I, that's a smart idea. Yeah, I'm just, we're going to silo out some freaky experiments. Maybe some of them will take off, but they're going to be experiments to with a capital e and then the pure resident evil will stay pure resident evil so fans don't have to completely lose their mind about this thing yeah that's the thing though like i feel like experiments don't really do a lot of ideas justice right i feel like i feel like you know by 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 bundling this with another game you know people are going to pay attention to the main thing and they won't pay as much attention to um you know, this, this, whatever this side thing is, or this accompaniment is, but I, I think it's the most interesting thing is that reverse is a third person shooter, right? Yeah. Whereas village is very much a first person thing. So it's, it's really interesting that they're confident to offer two very different styles of resident evil in, in what might be this, the same package. So who knows, but it's an anniversary year, right? 25th anniversary. I think, I think, we have to acknowledge that there's there's definitely a fan service element to this as well. So I can't wait to try it. Yeah, curious how it goes. Um, any other Resident Evil thoughts you want to unload from your brain here, Alex, before we let you go? Um, I think that's it for now. They didn't they didn't talk about Infinite Darkness, the the Netflix uh, animated series, too much. Unfortunately, I was hoping we'd see more of that. Uh, they didn't talk about like the movie either. So it, we'll see. You know, I, I feel like they were very deliberate about the timing of the showcase. And I imagine they might do another one around uh, in the month of March when they, when the actual anniversary date shows up. Mm, yeah. And then they go all out with, here's the actual release date for this Resident Evil mm-hmm. Netflix thing and more details on the movie, all that fun stuff. Well, cool. Alex, yeah. thanks for waking up early and jumping on the call, man. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. So talk to you all soon. Yeah. Do you want to plug your Twitter uh, handle? Yes, uh, on Twitter, you, uh, I am CVX Freak. Uh, on actually on everything, CVX Freak on Twitter, Instagram, a uh, lot of a lot of communities, Discord as well. So, hit me up. Sweet, cool. Thanks so much, man. Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye guys. Thanks. Yep. All right. Now it's just us. Now the beauty of just the three of us, Jeff. We can talk about whatever the hell we want, man. Ooh. And I want to talk about Resident Evil a little bit. Uh, no, uh, Jeff, um, we are remiss because Leo is not here. Leo hasn't had a big chance to check out Hitman 3 yet. Hitman is his series, and he's very much looking forward to it. He streamed a little bit uh, on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash show, and he's going to be streaming more with Dan Reichert, some more uh, competitive streams where they're setting contracts the communities are building contracts and they have to complete that so you can follow us on twitch to see leo and dan play hitman in the near future but i'm curious how much you all have played like jeff how much hitman 3 have you played at this point uh i have only played the first two levels at this point okay i feel like i got a good grasp on on those two yeah and you're the old school hitman fan who was a little bit cooler about the episodic Hitman, but you've grown to appreciate this new era is your general yeah, take. And and it is, a lot of it was just that kind of episodic, you could play one new level and then you had to wait several months before the next one came out. Um, yeah, it's the, I mean, the first two levels have been interesting and they've, they've 
felt very different from one another. The first one is the Saudi Arabia, you're in a giant tower level. And that that one was interesting because the first thing that I thought from the beginning of that one is, man, this really feels like a test case for James Bond because they just got that license. It, it feels like someone went to them and was like, okay, guys, like we, uh, we know you're working on that season three content and that's great. Just so you know, we have this opportunity coming up that we could get a James Bond game. So if you could build anything that could kind of, that we could demo as like, hey, we can do a Bond game. That feels very much what it's like because you're like, you're skydiving out of a plane and the music is blaring up. It's not, it's not the James Bond theme, but it, it could, I mean, like the whole thing was very, felt very Bondian. Yeah, or even Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah, as you're entering this level. And then it is kind of exactly what what you would expect from from like the past two seasons of like this is an absolutely massive level and it is it is a little it I still feel a little overwhelmed whenever I start one of those in terms of like man, I don't know where I'm going like there's this art installation that I spent a lot of time, like I was knocking people out and I could kind of sabotage the power. And it's like, I don't even know like how I'm going to get the targets over here. Like the, the character that they were talking about wasn't even one of my targets, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of pulling at strings and seeing like what, what is involved in this? This is what I want to pick your brain about. And Suriel, you've been playing it as well. Yeah, I played it also the first two levels and I went back and redid the tutorial. Okay, love it. Which, by the way, just, I mean, the presentation of this game is so fascinating. The tutorial, I, that's a tutorial from Hitman 2, right? It's like, well, if it ain't broke. It's the one from Hitman 1, even. Oh, is yeah. that right? Okay, so here's yeah. the boat to have at it. Um, but I am very, very new and fresh to the Hitman series. I've dabbled in a couple here and there, but I, I jumped right into the Knives Out mission, which is like the second mission where you're in the mansion, you know, uh, murder mystery style. Um, and I just don't understand how I'm supposed to digest these levels. Like, do you have advice for how the two of you, like, you know, regardless of what level you're on, for just starting to pull at the strands to figure out what you're in sure. is? Yeah, and and I I wanted to say like the yeah the second level is the knives out level basically a, a murder mystery in this mansion and I that may be one of my favorite hitman levels of all time oh wow and part part of that part of that is definitely the murder mystery which is just insane that they have built out like this entire family all you know all these different characters within this family and then built an, an entire murder mystery that you can solve for like really no reason whatsoever like right you don't have to do any of that but it, it is there's just like a detective walking up as you get there that you can you know hit over the head with a brick or whatever and dress up as him and then just go through the entire murder mystery and that is, that is such a fun element to it but the other thing that i really like about it is that is a smaller and more contained level in compared to the other, you know, this season, past three seasons. Like that feels more of the size of a classic Hitman level. Sure. And so for me, it, it was it was much more like, okay, I can grasp this. Like I can get the floor plan relatively quickly and I can kind of understand where the target is going within these levels. And so it's not as completely overwhelming as some of the other ones i can see if this is your first hitman game how it is still completely overwhelming um but i i think the the new games have done a good job of getting those guided mission story things which basically will walk you through 
one of several of the kind of main set piece assassinations. And that is a good place to start. If you just go into the menu and turn one of those on, it will say, okay, now go here and pick up this item and then go here and get this guard, you know, this disguise and, and kind of, it will walk you through everything that you need to do to complete that mission. But you're, you'll also be learning the environment as you're going along. Oh, that's interesting. And that's somewhere in the menu. Yeah, it's like when you play through the campaign, it'll be like almost by default, your first run through a level will be like, okay, here's kind of like the 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 introductory version of this level where, you know, you do solve the murder mystery or like you don't have to or whatever. But like, yeah, it, the, the first setup is like, what if this was a, a murder mystery? And then, yeah, like this game very much wants you to replay the, the levels a lot. And so your first run through each level is basically like an extended kind of tour of Here's what the level is. Here's kind of like a very simple way to kind of to kill the target. But, you know, you, you start seeing along the way like, oh, that has a lock that would need a crowbar. This door is locked, but I don't have the lock pick yet. Yeah. Um, so along the way, you're like, oh, here are all these ideas that I could implement on my next run. Yeah. yeah. You- and there, there will also be you'll usually like run into conversations and it will pop up a kind of timed bar that will be like, this is a mission story, you know, like this is a mission guide story that's unfolding and press a button if you want to start following this one as well. And those, I think, just kind of, those will populate in your, I, I think it, I think the tab it's is like just an Intel lab, and yeah. yeah, tab basically where you can yeah. see all of, here's like, here's sort of your path that you're taking to, you're like, you're on the, ra- on the route to solve this particular version of the murder. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, and, and so that, that, that has been frustrating in the past for me because Coming from those older games, it felt very much like, well, either I'm, I'm getting thrown into a, just a massive level and either I'm completely overwhelmed or else I have to have this on-rails experience. But I, but I think like there, there are so many other alternative options that you have to tackle these missions that it's okay if they spoil you know one or two by just like walking you point A to point B. And and especially if you're new to it, like that is a that is a very good introduction on how how to play these games and how to start chewing on these levels. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. Chewing on the levels. It's just a feast in front of you and you start nibbling around the edges of this sucker. Yeah. Uh, and and that that uh the mansion mission, like I had just such a ridiculous number of items in my inventory because I was just you really just go around and you pick up everything that you can. Because you you never know when you're going to use it. And so I had just like five apricots and ten <laughs> garden hoes and just like the most ridiculous things that it would take me, you know, a minute to cycle through things when it's like, okay, I, I need my camera again. It's going around and around and around. But yeah, you'll you you'll learn the ropes pretty, pretty quickly. But basically every level that completely resets and it's like, oh, God, you know, like now where am I going and and you know, what's the layout of this and where are the, where are my targets actually moving around? But yeah. But uh, what, what, once you kind of figure out the core systems, that gets a little, a little easier. Yeah. Surreal, you digging this game so far? Yeah, I like it. I'm just, I'm brushing up against uh, kind of the idea that these levels aren't meant to be replayed over and over again. Um, because I'm, I'm like on the opposite end of like this game where it's, it's just, this game is all about like experimentations and kind of finding the route and, and almost like the, like the beauty of things going wrong and not being like the perfectionist where I am like 100% the perfectionist of like, if I'm detected, I'm just going to lo- load my last save. And this game is just like not 
a game where you really can do that as well as you'd like. Um, and so the idea that like your first run is going to be kind of a practice run. Oh, I always feel like, no, I want this to be my run. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to do this level as well as I want to do it like the right way. And I think I, right now I'm just struggling with like rewiring how I play these games to not be as like, you know, like pass fail on them as much as just kind of experimenting. Yeah, they um, want you to be for, improvisational. They want you to use yeah. those items that you find in ways that you haven't done before. Yeah, and so like they they do have like some of the hooks for perfectionists, where you know, like at the end of a level, you have a star rating, and if you know, if you basically go undetected and and don't kill anybody but the target and get out of it, you know, basically do it like the the perfectionist way, you get like a five star rating, and that's based on a score or whatever. Um, but that does that seems like the thing you do last. Where I, okay, I, I've you know I found all the options. I've unlocked every like because every time you beat a level, they basically start giving you more entry points, more tools that you can use during the level, and then they're like, okay, now that you've kind of have all the tools, now you can do your kind of you know like um, high stakes run. Um, but I think part of it for me is that this this feels more closer to an adventure game than something like Dishonored, where like huh. you have all these options for like you know you can vault over stuff, but it's not it's very digital, not analog where like, you know, just following, for example, that first detective into the mansion, it's like you, you can't like walk past this kind of very short stream. You have to find the exact spot where you can do that versus like, I'm, I'm going to like run across this water and it's going to make noise, but you know, that's kind of on me or like you have to, you have to basically find all these different like adventure game esque interaction points. And so, whenever I want to have like more analog solutions to like, well, why can't I do this? Like sometimes I will run up against like, well, I should be able to jump off this. Like, no, there's a specific point later on where you have to shimmy and then slide down. So that to me is sort of where I'm kind of, where I'm slowly realizing I, I can't play this the way I do other stealth games. I have to think of, I have to kind of work with the game's logic, not against it. Yeah. And eventually you find that wiggle room of now I know how to have the fun within their constraints. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for me, like that kind of like chaotic, like, well, I was able to like assault somebody with a banana versus like I, to me, I get more satisfaction out of doing that perfect run. But it's like, at some point I just have to let go of my like that. But it's like, the question for me now is like, do I want to spend enough time with the game? Like to learn all the levels to get to the point where I can do that perfect run. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see a perfect run, you can check out our YouTube channel, uh, Leo uploaded his his latest stream and he's very good at that game uh and again yeah follow us on twitch uh for a bunch of streams with leo vader and dan reichert uh people watching us live jeff um, are uh, asking for you to reunite with dan reichert on a hitman stream at some point as well oh boy i don't know how about how you feel about going back to that ninja guide and well uh, yeah um hey Suriel, do you know how this whole thing operates uh let me see. I'm, I've I've done research on this. Yeah. You, you gave me this assignment earlier. I I, I checked with I, I I I did a Freedom of Information Act with oh. Congress, and they've revealed to us that it is through Patreon. It is. We didn't want it to get out, but now that yeah. it's out, we should just tell people it's Patreon.com/slash/MinMax with two ends. Thank you to everybody that supports us at any tier. There are a number of great options. If you support us at any tier, you can submit comments, questions to the podcast. You can. Uh, get access to the MinMax exclusive Discord. You can unlock the podcast feed, which has our Patreon-exclusive podcast, MinFacts, early access to the MinMax show every single week, uh, podcast versions of The Deepest Dive, podcast versions of our interviews, a lot of fun stuff like that. So thanks for the support. And thanks to Beaten Down Brian. Uh, he says, This week, I just want to recommend people to go follow my friend and community member at Ray Luaza on Twitter. 
That's R-A-Y-L-U-A-Z-A. Ray is an amazing artist as well as an all-around nice guy. If you follow the Resident Evil account, you may have already seen some of his work this past weekend. So if you want to make your timeline a little bit brighter place, go drop him a follow. That's Ray Luaza on Twitter. Thank you, Beaten Down Brian. Again, Jeff. Awesome. Beaten Down Brian is the nicest guy. He supports yeah. us to the tier that we plug anything he wants on the podcast, and he just wants people to check out friendly people in the community. Yeah. Lovely. And then he just uses that to, to highlight other people. Unbelievable. That's, he's a saint. Also, thanks to Seth and Pretty Good Printing. Prettygoodprinting.com slash minmax is the place to go if you want to print out stickers, invitations, banners, any sort of graphic design. Check them out. Uh, he says, it would mean the world to me and my family if you considered using us for anything you might need. And you can use the promo code minmax for 10% off anything at Pretty Good Printing. So again, if you need invitations, banners, any graphic design, stickers, whatever you want, Check out Pretty Good Printing. You can go pretty good. You can go to prettygoodprinting.com/slash-minmax. In particular, get some fun bundles uh, set up there. Use that promo code MINMAX and uh, be sure to thank Pretty Good Printing for supporting us. Um, he wants to show off the cool stickers that you can get by giving them away to the community. So everybody watching us live, are you ready to play Game Case Trivia? This is a game where we're going to read the back of a game box. You're going to guess what you think that game is. Whoever gets it first will win a sticker pack from Pretty Good Printing. Are y'all ready? Oh boy, okay, this one caught my eye. I can't not do this. Oh my God. Okay, here is the game, everybody. <clears throat> Jeff and Cyril, are you guys ready to just stare and judge? Yes. Okay, yes. perfect. I won't let on when I figure it out, but mm -hmm. it'll be right away because I'm super smart. Mm -hmm. Adventure awaits pick up parts and grow to three stories tall discover the truth behind the mysterious relics exciting two-player cooperative play Nick gets it. Knack. Congratulations, Nick, in the YouTube chat. We will have uh, Seth from Pretty Good Printing reach out to you and then ship out some fun stickers. Mm. Talk about Nick's knack. No! Give this dog a bone, I say. Hey, also thanks to I Am 8-Bit for supporting MinMax for so long. They've been great supporters, and they want everybody to know that the wonderful game Grindstone from our friends at Capybara is now available on Switch, and you can get the physical edition of Grindstone at I Am 8-Bit's online store. You can get the physical edition, which includes the I Am 8-Bit exclusive reversible cover sheet that comes with a six crayon set so you can design your own cover for your Switch nice. game, the physical version of Grindstone. It is so cool. It has original illustrations by Nuri Durr. Um, and also on iMateBit's wonderful store, uh, they have the soundtrack as well. The vinyl soundtrack for Grindstone. It's an awesome soundtrack, so you can check that out. Uh, they say the double vinyl is covered in spot varnished guts. And then they write in parentheses, seriously! It's awesome. So thank you so much to iMateBit for that support. And you can use the promo code Max New Year. That's all one word, Max New Year for 10% off everything in iMateBit's online store under $100. And iMateBit is so generous that they ship out something to our community every single week. And that is shipped out to the person who we deem has the best community question that is submitted on Patreon. And this week, uh, they're shipping out a gimmick CD, which is the soundtrack to an old Sunsoft game called Gimmick from iMateBit. So thank you for that support. 
So we need to read through these wonderful community questions and choose the number one winner. And then i8bit will ship out that wonderful thing from their online store. But we couldn't possibly do this alone. Could we? No. I just feel like we're missing somebody. And the fact that we're recording this episode live means there's going to be not a clap, but basically it'll feel like one. Oh, hang on. This intro is rolling when it shouldn't roll. And wait for it. She's coming online. I believe the camera is struggling. Anna, welcome Anna Diaz to the show. How you doing? I'm good. Drinking coffee at five o'clock in the afternoon. Is it one of those days or what's going on over there? Oh, no, I just wanted to drink it because I was like, I just really like making coffee drinks. So, like, I made, like, a coffee with, like, chocolate and, like, almond milk. So. That seems delicious. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, one second. I don't have my headphones. <laughs> I was just <laughs> guessing what we were saying. Uh, all right. Well, let's jump in before she gets back. Uh, Kyle Silva submits a comment on Patreon. A killer question. Do you know Kyle, Jeffem? Of course I do. Well, you're about to know him better. He says, Hello, Ben and the cohorts. Thanks, Ben, for taking my suggestion to play Spinny's Journey. It reminded me of that game Roundabout. Hope you keep enjoying it. Okay, let's just break this down. Uh, so he tweeted at me that there is a new game that's out on Switch now that came out on Steam last year called Spinny's Journey, which is very, very heavily inspired by Karu Karu Kururin. I can never say the name. I'm sorry. But it's one of my favorite Game Boy Advance games where you're just a slowly spinning stick trying to navigate these mazes. And I was skeptical and I checked it out and I've been streaming it on uh, MinMax's Twitch channel all this week. And on Friday, I'm going to finish this game. Uh, I've been playing it. <laughs> Quite a bit, Jeffum. Uh, have you checked out Spinny's Journey yet, Jeffum? I have, um, and it drives me crazy. So, I are you, when you're when you're playing through those levels, Hanson, are yeah. you just trying to get through them? Because I've been trying to get you know like three stars on them because I'm oh, an idiot. Who why just would has you to, ever do who that? Has to be perfect on everything. Yeah, and it's it's killing me. Don't. Hey, yeah, we're talking about Spinny's Journey. I was like laying like on my couch whatever it was like late <laughs> and i only follow like four people on twitch and so i have it so i get a notification every channel that i follow like goes live and one yeah. of them is min max and it was like nine o'clock and it's like <laughs> min max is live with spinny's journey i'm like what <laughs> Yeah, I've really grown to love Spinny's Journey. It's just been a weird thing this week where like my girlfriend's been busy in the evenings and I'm like, what am I going to do? It's that beautiful thing of we wrapped up the deepest dive on Cyberpunk 2077, so I don't know what to play. And then the answer is, I just want to play Spinny's Journey. I can't get enough of this stupid spinning stick navigating through a maze game. But like Kyle mentions uh, it's here- It's a spaceship. I'm Hansen. sorry, it is Spinny's spaceship and we're trying to bring uh, Spinny home. But like Kyle mentions, it's uh, inspired by Crew Crew. I'm sorry- Jeff, you can probably say it better than I can. Kuru Rin, whatever that Game Boy Advance uh, game's name was, um, which also was the inspiration for Roundabout. If you remember No Goblins game where you're a spinning limousine from probably 2015, but it's a fantastic, silly indie game. Um, Jeff, yeah, don't go for the three stars. Okay, you should just, pick just up. Just try and get through the levels. Try and get through saying. the levels, but they also have pieces of spinny spaceship around the levels, and you should right. try and grab those because I don't know if it's going to be a matter of to actually get the correct ending or something you need all those spaceship parts okay but that game gets infuriating 
<laughs> like the stream. It already is. Okay. If you're trying to get three stars. Oh my um, god! I will drop that and and give it another give it another go. Are you enjoying it though? <sighs> you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like. Yeah, when when you like get through a curve and your spaceship is spinning just exactly right and you get through it like that feels great. Um but but then the counterpart to that is when you're just like ramming into the side and then you explode and it's like I don't want to effing do this <laughs> 10 more times to try and get through there. So it yeah, it I mean it definitely the thing that's holding me back is my perfectionist idiot tendencies and I just have to try and Try and have more fun with it and be be freer with it. Maybe we'll maybe maybe Spinny's journey will make me a better person. That's what Spinny's here what for. It so I came to looks the planet. like and reminds me of that's really fun. Would actually be a fun multiplayer game to stream. I don't know if we'd have to do remote play for this because I don't think it's online. Is um lovers in a dangerous space time? Oh, it's yeah. like similar because like you're navigating a spaceship through like obstacles and whatnot, except you have like four people, you know, all doing different controls and it's it's like really fun that's yeah. a really great game i forgot about that game that was a good one anyways kyle mm -hmm. actually had a question here he says uh spinny's journey made me wonder uh do you have any games that were heavily inspired by another game where you prefer the follow-up over its inspiration something like round guard versus peggle or immortals versus breath of the wild it's a good question yeah that that's an easy one and the answer is stardew valley oh yeah do you have any fondness for harvest moon though do you ever play those old games I, I do. Um, and every time that I see that a new one has come out, I'm I get excited, even though I shouldn't. It's like Charlie <laughs> Brown trying to kick that football because it's, it's always and, and it's a, a weird, a weird hang up for me where it's like, I'll, I'll be excited. I'll look at it and then I'll be like, ah, I don't like this art style. I don't know what's with these characters like it or the animation just doesn't look good. And so uh, I'll just like instantly be turned off. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, you were such a huge Super Nintendo little boy. I feel like if you would have found that original Harvest Moon, it would be up there for the greatest Super Nintendo. Oh, games. yeah. I mean, it is and that, you know, but that's that's the version that I don't know that there's ever been a Harvest Moon that I would take over the Super Nintendo kind of aesthetic. Yeah, I love for. Back to Nature, but I still think that original maybe holds up the best, even if it is pretty simple, but it's just so addicting. Yeah. But yeah, although I also uh, also um I always liked the Rune Factory series yeah. too. Yeah, I but I haven't. A... I haven't played a recent. I I think I only played the DS one, one of the DS ones. I don't know. I haven't followed the series series that closely. But that was that was a you know an eye opening of like oh it's Harvest Moon, but then there's also a layer of fighting in it, and which right. you know Stardew Valley also figured out. Yeah, I think there's a new Rune Factory coming to switch soon i'm pretty sure but anyways yeah no did you guys have other thoughts on games that were you know inspired by their games where you prefer the successor uh i don't know if this counts but i definitely prefer apex to all the other battle oh, royale games oh that's interesting i know it's kind of like a weird fusion because it's yeah. not exactly like it, it's almost not like it, it couldn't be further removed from battle or uh player unknowns battlegrounds in terms of what it's going for but it, even within that same genre i think even if it's just inspired by the battle royale premise i think i like a lot of where that game takes that genre for sure yeah uh in the chat here nick uh i'm sorry julian uh collins submits puzzle quest which is in the news because they announced puzzle quest 3 is going to be coming but i guess yeah that, that fits the vein i guess i've been inspired by bejeweled is that what puzzle quest is like i think so i gotta go yeah. back and play puzzle quest i never got into those games that just seems 
like a good thing. Would it also count if I said that I like Puzzle Fighter more than Puyo Puyo? I think I feel like those games are pretty related, but I don't know if that... I don't think they're related enough. And this is something that if you would have asked me around August, I could have given you that history. But I um, I actually went through and because there are some games that even Capcom made that are the inspiration for Puyo Puyo. I think it has a Japanese name. I forget what it is exactly. But I played that and it's like, "Mm, this is nowhere near Puzzle Fighter. But it's fun to track like the journey of how that thing came along. Um, Do you think you're better than me at Puzzle Fighter, Serial? I have not played it in so long, but I, yeah, I can't imagine I am because I don't play it regularly at all. But I remember there was like one summer where I played the crap out of it. I also played the um, the uh, puzzle combat uh, minigame in Mortal Kombat Deception, which was basically Puzzle Fighter, but with Mortal Kombat characters. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I want to try that. It's, it's, it's Puzzle Fighter with Mortal Kombat characters. It's really cool. So do I have to like buy... Mortal Kombat Deception and you would unlock have this mini game in order to unlock this game? Uh, I think it's available from the start, really? but I'm not totally sure. Mm, I'm interested. They just released that standalone. Just go ahead and rip them off. It's fine. Capcom isn't yeah. doing anything with Puzzle Fighter. I want the yeah. Mortal Kombat version. Anyways, that's, that's where they're going to cross over. It's going to be Mortal Kombat versus uh, Street Fighter in Puzzle Combat. Oh my <laughs> God, that'd be so fun. Uh, anyways, Eric Holmes submits a question saying, greetings, Minimax crew. This is a question I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. What do you think are some of the most important indie games to ever come out? Not the best or your favorite, but hypothetically, if you were to take a class called The History of Video Games, what indie games would deserve to be mentioned? I'll submit one for consideration, says Eric. Braid was from my memory the first success story that showed you didn't have to work at a game development studio to release a game for everyone around the world to play. Yeah, it's true that like, 2008 to 2010 window was so pivotal uh, for indie games, especially on consoles here. But what jumps out for y'all? What stands out in your mind? Yeah, my first answer was going to be Braid. Mm. Yeah, I think too, like just after that, um, Undertale is really important indie game that sort of challenged a lot of like conventions of the uh, sort of turn-based combat yeah, yeah. it's also one of the ear- earliest kind of like indie I, I know like double fine it was indie when it technically mm-hmm. released you know it's kickstarter project but like i i think undertale was like the first like oh i i first heard about it through a kickstarter thing and who knows how uh one of these that isn't managed by a studio you already know is gonna work out and that was definitely uh, probably launched like several more right yeah um yeah i think back to that era and it's like i loved world of goo but mm. I don't know how important that is in the history mm. of video games or even like mm-hmm. I remember there was a platformer called Starman that I loved, Cran Physics, like that era of indie games. I have such a sweet nostalgic spot for. Um, yeah. But I mean, I you got Super Meat Boy. Super yeah, Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then Edith Finch, also another classic sort of really kind of like a canon indie game i would say yeah that's true i wonder if you would go dear esther if you're teaching this history Mm. of video games though because i think edith finch is the best quote-unquote walking simulator Mm -hmm. um but in terms of yeah getting the ball rolling seems like dear esther might be home yeah gone home is yeah gone home yeah 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 um we're idiots if we don't mention minecraft of course yeah Uh, Yeah. we stand a legend Or like if I'm teaching a class, like an incredible indie game that like I always is an easy recommendation to sort of like as an educational tool is like Papers, Please is like an incredible concept for um, an indie game. If I don't know if listeners aren't familiar with it. So yeah, you're, yeah, you play as a Border Patrol agent and you're processing papers. It slowly builds up the mechanics like day by day. But that's just like another indie game. It's like, oh, yeah, like video games can like address different kinds of concepts and really 
um, push the indie scene forward, I think. Yeah. You know, it was a very specific time and a place in the game industry that we haven't talked about for nine years now is uh, Indie Game the Movie. Do you remember what a big deal that was? And the weird thing is that that movie came, was a huge sensation. It eventually led in a confusing way to the release of Silicon Valley on HBO, which was a whole journey. But um, because they sold the rights and HBO had it and Scott Rudin pitched it, blah, 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 blah. But anyways, the crazy thing is I remember following up with those directors several times to be like, hey, when's your next movie coming? And I don't know if they just never ended up releasing anything or it just didn't make a splash or just wasn't in the video game world so it didn't hit our Twitter feeds or what the deal is. But isn't it strange that they haven't had like the follow-up film to Indie Game the movie by now? The movie following um, Braid and Super Meat Boy, I think one other game. Is that it? Or am I yeah. thinking of like so, another no, Netflix? No, that's, that's kind of it. Dog. So Jonathan Blow is in it and he talks about okay. Braid, but it's kind of okay. chronicling the development of Fez uh, with Phil Fish. Fez, and then that's Team right. Meat. Yeah. Yeah, 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 as they're releasing. But it's, it's still an awesome movie. I should go back and watch that again. Um, Sean Dunn. Uh, submits a comment saying, okay, first of all, love the show. Really appreciate what you all put together every week, but no. Um, he says, I'm considering getting into better quests. So thanks for developing that. Oh, thanks. That's our show about getting better. Check it out. Um, we have a whole channel on the discord intended to motivate each other. Anyways, he says, so onto the question, should nearly all AAA games come out in beta? This would, I'm sure take a hit to their bottom line, but you have to admit if these things go south like cyberpunk or Games like Red Dead 2, even this world would tell the public that, hey, we are releasing this and please join us, but we know, but please know that we're still polishing. Thanks for all your thoughts. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, I think there's an interesting core there. And the fact that we've been talking about Cyberpunk 2077 for nine hours with the deepest dive, like in the last discussion in particular, I feel like this theme came up about just, God, it would be awesome if the version of Cyberpunk that they released was released in early access and this was their starting point for a second wave of development just to obviously patch a lot of the bugs and at the same time just go a little bit more tie the systems together a little bit tighter try and flesh out these systems that are cool but it just feels like they're scraping at an idea and it's not quite there yeah i mean it i i feel like it's semantics at some point in terms of like well you can put the beta label on it how much of it though is just that this game isn't isn't finished and you just want to get it out of the door early. And and I think for me, the answer is no, people should just finish their games first and then release them. And I, I don't know that there's anything that needed to be beta test in a game like cyberpunk, as opposed to just, they know what the problems are and they needed time to finish those things. Yeah. yeah, I think the one other thing that you get into is that, you know, with Cyberpunk specifically, there are just a ton of bugs and, you know, according to them, you know, they just missed them. Uh, but I think once you get into the idea of like, here's a single player game that's available to play from start to finish, the early access part is you helping us squash bugs that gets into some weird, maybe like potential labor issues of like, well, you're basically having your users bug test your game for you. And that's maybe not like bad, but like it kind of gets into this weird zone of just like, okay, well, I guess we're just having players do like have an inferior experience for the sake of people who would eventually play down the line. Yeah. I think yeah. people would be outraged, you know, if these big story centric games were released in this broken of a state on a regular basis, even if years from now, all the games would be better off for it, for having that just massive data to help tweak things before the official version comes out. Yeah. And as a whole, I'm not like a super, 
big early access guy. I would rather just wait until the game is fully released. But I, you know, obviously people play, people do buy and play these games. People are playing Baldur's Gate three at this point, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I would just, it would just be for me personally. I think I, I would just wait until all those games are done anyway. So I would just be waiting for the announcement of like, hey, this game is uh done um but i i think it would it, it's more of a marketing thing at that point of like well cyberpunk is out but it's in beta so be nice you know like that, that's <laughs> sort of where it kind of comes down to right yeah um jake zielsdorf has a killer question asking why do people like media set in high school so much are high schoolers really that interesting this is something that bothers me a lot because like as a young adult there's not a lot of media about like young adults which is wild like how soon you would like lose that age, like how much focus is on teenagers like you'd think like oh like early 20s that's still like young enough to do some like i don't know like similar plot lines but no like there's like this complete age gap and i feel like you see things about like parents are sort of that age and then you see young adults and it's just sort of like oh yeah like people in power they have like kids and then they have their own lives you know i don't know i feel like there definitely is ageism too right like there's this idea that like we only want to see like young people on screen and like i don't think that that i personally like i don't think that that's the case but i think that because of that like media tends to sort of like i don't know like skew young yeah and i wonder if there's something there about setting it in a place that's more universal that everybody has their own emotional connections to whereas if you're telling a lot of storylines about 19 year olds and 21 year olds it's like well at that point you're shot out of the canon and you can go Mm -hmm. so many different directions whereas storylines set in high school it's more like oh i know those clicks uh, this is just this anime is just like my experience you know <laughs> yeah what's the, the joke there's always the joke that like the most powerful being in the universe is like the president of like the anime high school uh student council <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was thinking about um aegis rim 13 sentinels because that's set in that high school yeah. oh 13 sentinels yeah. aegis rim yeah, uh, in, in that game, I will say that, yeah, ev- they just really like to find justifications for why teenagers are at the center of that story. But there is a lot, there is, they address that in some ways uh, of like, why why are all these kids, why, why is the fate of the world basically entrusted to a to a handful of kids? Um, but yeah, it, a lot of, that's what ends up happening in so many animes, right? It's just like, for some reason, like, you know, kids are, you know, the the most important figures in this in this world where you would think like just get some adults involved and maybe they can maybe help these kids through this you know yeah well and interestingly enough that was something that really um drew me in for persona 5 royal is that like it is a high school sort of it's a high school cast of characters but i think it um sort of thoughtfully incorporates like where they're at in life to sort of provide like a critique on adult life so it's not necessarily like ignoring adult life because it's about sort of like these kids examining like the moral so the complicated moral lives of like these people that they see as evil and so because they kind of are like growing and figuring out like oh maybe the world is kind of like not a great place um and so that's like interesting um but i feel i feel like people of all ages sort of have interesting perspectives (laughs) yeah you know what bugs me about all school fiction and school stories are bullies I don't think I've ever seen a bully depicted in a way that felt grounded. And tell me if this is just my experience of bullies in school, but every bully in every 
film TV show is the most over the top absurd like oh, I didn't see you there pipsqueak bad like pushing you over and everybody laughs have you, has anybody ever seen a bully and thought like yeah that looks like actual bullying that I encountered in school anybody I think it's because yeah I, I I don't think so and I think it's because it's always centralized to one character right versus like someone being I think a lot of that stuff has to do with clicks and like oh like we don't this one person doesn't like this person so they tell this other person that they don't like them so now as a group that person is being excluded from this group and so they all make fun of him right and that's a lot harder as a writer to pull off versus like no this one guy is just a dick to everybody right yeah the social dynamics are too complicated that's true that's a good point I also think it's I bet a lot of writers in Hollywood were bullied. And so like their version is always the most extreme version. All I'm saying is I'd like more bullies to write the script and reflect on their own lives. Is it too much to ask? Um, But I think in terms of, you know, why it's so popular, the high school media, I think there's probably also just a lot of writers are nostalgic and want to kind of rework that era in their own mind. I don't know. Do you all think about high school a lot? No. I mean, sometimes, not a lot, but I do sometimes think about it. And yeah, I think a lot of it was me kind of knowing early, like taking the lessons of like, yeah, this point in your life doesn't really matter as much as you think it does. Um, But a lot of the time there is, a. I think that kind of also ties into why so many like anime are about the end of the world when you're a teenager, because all of your problems feel that way. Yeah. Where it's like, oh yeah, like this test that I have to do with this girl that I'm really into not liking me. It's. To me, this has the same weight as like if a demon were about to destroy the universe because yeah. that's sort of how yeah. I feel. And I think a lot of and you sort of reminded me of this point is that like a lot of coming of age stories are tied to like heroes stories as well. So like becoming the hero is also part of like becoming of age or like becoming an adult, you know, like becoming a man, so to speak, is like becoming a hero and like facing your fears, et cetera, et cetera. And so um like, I think that that's just like, oh, yeah, like adolescence, that's like the perfect time for like the transformation of a character. Right. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you talk about just that gap from ninth grade to 12th grade and how much you change. And it's like, OK, if change is the core of any good story, then that seems like a, a right place to place it. Um, how was your high school experience, Anna? Were you like moving a lot? Was it weird and disconnected? Um, I moved twice. It was like, honestly, it was really weird and disconnected because... I was living overseas and then moved to the, to the U.S. my junior year of high school. And, like, before I was, like, living um, in a place where, like, school wasn't the most important thing. Like, it was a very balanced, very slow lifestyle. Um, like, homework was not something that I thought about a ton. Extracurriculars, like, I did them, but they also weren't super intense. Um, and then, like, I moved to the U.S. and suddenly... Like, everyone's like, oh, like, I need, like, the best grades for college. Like, I need to take all these, like, advanced courses, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, extremely cutthroat culture. And, like, I came home and I was – or came to the U.S. and I was, like, depressed because I just, like, gave away my entire life to, like, the American education system. And I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) And I was, like, looking at my little brother. We'd, like, go for these really, really long walks late at night. And we were just like, what is going – on like why is it like this um and we were very sad um and this was italy you were comparing it to yeah yeah do you think they got a better system over there or is there no, something kind no no oh. i mean it's it's not like a better educational system and like that's the thing it's like it's like a really complicated topic because it's like okay like you know long term i probably benefited from like having like a really difficult high school experience maybe i don't know i don't even want to like normalize putting kids through that right um 
for like this abstract idea that will make you in like to a better person. Um, but um, like it was definitely like more relaxed. Like if you didn't get your homework done, it wasn't like a huge deal. And kids would like slack off in class a lot. And um, like we were late to school all the time, like just because of traffic, like we were regularly like 30 an hour, an hour and a half late. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so that's just like a really and like lunch was a lot longer too. like we had an hour and a half for lunch. You just like sit outside and chill. And so like it's just it's really different from going from that to going to the American education system, which like feels like a factory because like a bell rings and you're like, I need to get to my next class or I'm going to get like, you know talked to in front of the class yeah i'm gonna get bullied oh. by the teacher yeah yeah teachers are bullies too <laughs> it's true it's true i think that's why i like persona 5 royal because sometimes the worst bullies are the teachers themselves because like they don't have that check of power on them it's true hey chris h submits a comment on patreon question he says hey cohorts uh new jobs are in the news right i don't know you tell us what are some of the favorite in-game careers you've encountered Lots of mercs and assassins, but does anything stand out as unique? Um, Final Fantasy VII remakes Junk Dealer. I feel like mm. that's a, yeah. a ripe class. Yakuza Like a Dragon is like yeah. tailor-made for it, where all the classes are just surreal jobs. Where it's like, oh, you can be a hostess in battle or a you know, um, breakdancer. Homeless guy is a career for some reason in, in uh, Yakuza. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to... To bring it up again, I think Papers, Please is a pretty good example of you are, this is your job and the game is 100% about doing that job and what that means, right? I think that's probably one of the better, like, infusions of, like, let's take this idea of you are a border, uh, like, kind of patrol person and then let's gamify that. And then there are also all those sim games, right? Whether it's, like, Farming yeah. Simulator or whatever simulator. Yeah, right? Cooking Mama, a great, uh, great job game. Mama's the <laughs> ultimate job. Yeah, it's a hard <laughs> job. I this is my radical take on cooking mama. Yeah. It shows it shows how hard um it is to do that kind of work. Yeah. There you go. Like something like Ace Attorney is a good kind mm. of contextualization for why you're doing stuff in an adventure game. Because right. normally most people don't are like I need to have this thing and give it to this person so they can do this and open the door versus like I I'm like the reason I'm going around these environments is because I'm collecting evidence. Yeah, mm -hmm. and just so you know, people at home, nothing's wrong with your car stereo. Serial's mic just completely crapped the bed. Oh, yeah. I'm sure All it's right. better now. Uh, Cyber submits a question saying, hey, Min Snacksers, new subscriber Cyber here. Hello, new subscriber Cyber. Um, what was the best slash most memorable meal you've had? A birthday dinner, lunch break at an old job, this morning's breakfast. I like lunch break at an old job. That's pretty good. Jeff, um, you're a foodie. I'm a foodie. Um, every Christmas dinner, because it's my mom makes a homemade lasagna. Oh, uh, but then I'd, I'd also like, honestly, anytime my wife and I go to like an all you eat sushi place is just like, it's my favorite thing in the world. It's expensive here because we're in Minnesota, but it's absolutely worth it. And it's one of those foods that you could probably eat. Uh, I don't know. A, a boat full of sushi before you hit your limit yeah it's it's like it's way too much i i can't remember i i i mean we haven't been able to eat out for like a year now but 
at at some point I had like the exact number of pieces of sushi that I could eat and then before you know like my stomach would explode <laughs> and and it, it's difficult with my wife and it's I think it's difficult for my wife because she likes just ordering a bunch of stuff when you're at in all you can eat place but then she expects me to help her eat it if she can't finish it and and I'm like no like I have my limit I know the number of pieces of sushi that I can eat so you're on your own you got to order more responsibly she's trying to give you food debt yeah yeah yes that's why it's great to do the sushi places with like a really large group because then you get like one of each kind, and then maybe it's like if you don't like a certain roll, you just have one and you <laughs> push it yeah. to the other side of the table. It's perfect. What yeah. is it about Japanese food that is not that filling? Like every time I've gone to Japan and just loaded up in gyoza, I don't think I've ever hit my limit. I think I could technically keep eating gyoza and drinking beer forever. It's just infinite. There's no bottom to that well. That's just called being a gamer, Ben. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Gamers love gyoza. Uh, Jim Blue Bellows says, hello, friends. I found myself a little burned out. I'm sorry, bummed out when I saw the news of all the Disney games like Indiana Jones and Star Wars being in development. We talk about this more on uh, MinFax, our Patreon exclusive podcast. Anyways, he said, I mean, I like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, but I felt sad that a lot of the talented developers, the likes of Respawn and Ubisoft won't get a chance to work on a new IP or continue an existing one like Titanfall. Are y'all worried about this further limiting new IP from bigger developers slash publishers in the future? No. I don't think so. I don't think Disney is being this willy-nilly with their licenses where they're going to really tie up this many studios. Like, yeah, it'd be cool if, you know, uh, Ubisoft Massive was making another new IP, but they just made The Crew not that long ago and Division, I guess, through Tom Clancy. It's kind of newish IP. Um, And I always think of those stories of whenever a studio has a chance. Like, I think Respawn has that story of they got the license and then actually just asked people in the studio, like, do you want to work in a Star Wars game? And if you were working in a game studio, of course you'd say yes. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a story of Insomniac with Spider-Man when there were early discussions about working with Marvel uh, on something. And then Ted Price asked the entire studio, like, hey, would you all want to work on a Spider-Man game? And of course they're like, yeah, absolutely. Like it takes a lot of willpower to not sign up for the thing that you loved as a kid. Yeah, and yeah. there's, I mean, there's also... Like every, every, at least most studios have multiple teams and you got to think that like, okay, if you're going to make a Star Wars game, like that is going to fund whatever your next project is that is, you know, Titanfall three or whatever. Like right. those, they are cash cows and that's part of the reason that that studios sign on to make them. Part of the reason is also because they're big fans of the property, but then also whatever money that that's going to help them float their boat to the next, whatever more experimental or daring project is. Right. Like specifically the Indiana, Indiana Jones stuff. I think you, I know that it maybe wasn't as simple as this, but like looking at the idea of machine games, making an Indiana Jones game, I almost thought like, Oh, you know, they're probably doing it so they can make uh Wolfenstein three. Cause I think from what I recall, I don't think Wolfenstein 2 sold super well. I know I, I don't think it did terribly, but I remember seeing that game getting discounted pretty quickly, all it, things told. And Youngblood um, seemed like it didn't even exist. Right. So I think you so to some degree, I was kind of like worried that if it were any other publisher besides Bethesda, I would have been like, maybe they're just going to cancel that the last game. But I think seeing this is like, oh, they're, they could totally be using this Indiana Jones game as a way to say, like, we're going to now we can't we can totally finish Wolfenstein. Yeah, could be. It's it's the same reason actors make those Marvel and Disney 
movies so that they can also do, you know, other more experimental and fun things. One for them, one for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it makes me appreciate. It's still insane that this happened, that Kathleen Kennedy, when starting up Star Wars Episode Seven, reached out to Brad Bird, the director of Incredibles and Mission Impossible 4, and offered him Star Wars Seven. And he turned it down because he's like, I, I'm starting to work on this film called Tomorrowland. And I, I, I can't abandon a new property. Like, I'm so eager to get something new in, even though Tomorrowland's technically licensed for Walt Disneyland and stuff. But that still just blows my mind that Star Wars, the new saga, could have looked so completely different with Brad Bird at the helm than J.J. Abrams. And it's all because of how passionate Brad Bird was about Tomorrowland, another movie which does not exist, as Blank Jack would put it. It's just no one's ever talked about it. I assume it's on Disney+. Plus. There's cool scenes in it. Anyways, uh, James Martin says, Hey, cohorts, my wife and I welcomed our first child, baby girl. Oh, oh, sorry, I botched this. I'm sorry. Hang on. Let me really get this it right. These are getting so weird. I know. Okay, here we go. This is needs to be good because this is announcing the name of a baby. My wife and I welcomed our first child, baby girl Ellery. Nice. Uh, he says, Shout out to her for being a solid sleeper so far. Good job, Ellery! Uh, so my question is for new father Jeffum. What are some of your strategies for keeping up with gaming during the endless cycle of feed poop nap? F- time is a flat circle. Yes. Well, first, congratulations on the new child, and second, kiss goodbye that gaming buddy. No, oh. it, it's it's rough, and they and uh, I don't I don't want to burst any bubbles, but they start off as good sleepers when they're really young because that they got nothing else to do. But once they start actually Growing and getting energy, that's when the whole sleep cycle goes out the door. So just don't let them grow? Yeah. If if you can stop your child from growing, mm-hmm. um, that's that's step one, I guess. Okay. Give them the Benjamin buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Give them the buttons. Uh, but yeah, I, I think part of it is changing the kind of games that you're playing to games that can be played in short amounts and certainly... I'm, it's a little self-serving since I got my switch from the community for having my child. But if you have a switch, it's a it's a great it's a great way to actually be able to get gaming time in because you don't have to be stuck in one spot in front of a TV and turn everything on and off to just kind of jump into a game with the very short amount of time that you that you're gonna have. Yeah, James is also asking if you've juggled uh, a baby and controller at the same time. Yeah, it it doesn't work great. If you're oh. kind of laying down and you can get him or her to sit on your lap and then kind of bear hug them and have the controller in front of you. Yeah. That that works if they're cool with it, but usually mine ain't so cool with it for too long. And so then you got to kind of like, "Okay, kid." And then they're they're like laser focused on the heads that are exploding oh, in Cyberpunk no. as oh, you're playing. Jesus, you're playing <laughs> Cyberpunk with the baby. I mean, he's so young, he's not going to hopefully retain any of that yeah he's learning the bounds of physics and reality through the most glitchy (laughs) bugged game of all time (laughs) first words are cream (laughs) (laughs) thanks chumba daddy um serial are you gonna have kids i don't know what do you think what do you think the odds are i i I would honestly say 50 50 i don't know i don't know for sure so 
we'll put a pin on this in 10 years. We'll see where we're at. Would you want to make a bet? Uh, I famously lost a bet for betting on the Game Informer show that I would have a kid within five years, and I had to pay up for Jeff Cork recently because I don't have a kid. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, nah, I think I, I don't want to like ever think about like, well... I did make that bet, so let's uh, let like let's have that influence it one way or another. Let's get impregnating. <laughs> uh, Tim Laro has another question that is basically just for you, Jeffum. Have you ever played solo tabletop board games? I was usually against it since video games are a thing, but lately I've started playing Arkham Horror, the card game solo, and I might be coming around to it. It feels like a jigsaw puzzle, but with a lot more imagination and logic reasoning. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. That that's a hard. That's a hard band-aid to rip off i guess in terms of just sitting down and like laying out a full game and then playing myself by myself feels kind of weird yeah and and i and i guess like i would i would rather play a game with my wife at that point and it's for, for some reason that's a lot easier in in the video game space it doesn't feel as selfish or as i guess maybe a little bit selfish but just just in terms of that, like, I'm going to take up the entire table and I'm going to be transfixed on this thing by myself for three hours, yeah. you know, while my wife is sitting next to me doing her own thing. And for some reason that that that's never been, you know, a reservation in my mind for video games or something. But I would say that I play a lot of board games solo in app version in app. Oh, versions, that's a good place you know, for it. Like, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, and those are those are really fun, and they're. But I, I still haven't, I still haven't, I've, I haven't gotten a solo game yet. Okay, um, what do you think is the best uh, app version of a tabletop game? Um, there is a developer called DigiDice, D I G I D I C E D, I think, and basically every every adaptation that they've done is is really good is really solid and and i i tend to skew towards kind of games that would be more complicated and longer in board game form like that's that seems like the the perfect opportunity because you know a digital version will handle all the upkeep and all the scoring and all those kind of things and can turn like a four-hour game into a maybe one hour kind of game and so terra mystica is one that I enjoyed the digital version more than, more than, uh, I mean, like my wife and I played the tabletop version and it, it definitely took like four and a half hours. And so it's, it's nice to be able to play that kind of game in a much more condensed version where you don't have to worry about all of the, making sure you remember every single rule and those kind of things. Yeah. Well, there it is. Uh, Spell Dragon has a killer question. While pouring what you think is a fresh bowl of cereal, you're instead presented with a puff of smoke. It's a cereal genie, of course. And he's allowing you to wish any video game-themed cereal into existence. What game do you choose, and what is the cereal like? Very good question, Spell Dragon. Thank you. This isn't a game genie. This is a cereal genie that focuses on games. Hmm. Hmm. What? I mean, what, what video game makes for the best flavors? I might, I might be basic, but I think like a Lucky Charms with like Charmander, Squirtle, Pikachu, Ooh. Uh, Bulbasaur, 
as the marshmallows. Like, that'd be pretty dang cute, you know? I think, yeah. yes, that ties into, I mean, Pokemon is the most profitable um, piece of media or just thing on planet Property. Earth. Or, yeah. Property, yeah, that's a great way to put it, um, which I love. I remember even, like, I think it was on the um, Artifact trip surreal. I remember Gabe Newell was talking about how fascinated he was by Pokemon. He's like, people don't realize it's more profitable than the Super Bowl. Like Pokemon is everything. <laughs> and I love that Gabe Newell is saying that. But um like they drop the ball in some areas. Like there's no children's books about mm. Pokemon. There's no like No, he- there are. Exactly my point. Wait, really? Because I was looking like like learn to read books? Yeah. Yeah, they have them like levels one through four, and they're all like Pokemon. What? And I, I had some as a kid, actually. I wonder if they're out of print. I was looking on Amazon years ago for my nephews, and I couldn't find anything that wasn't just like, here's a Pokedex. Shut up, kid. Yeah, I used to get, so they, they sold them at like the Scholastic Scholastic Book Fair. <laughs> um, very okay. scholarly here. Well, um, never mind. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's what I was looking they for. They sold Pokemon books at that. And I imagine that like a lot of the books they sold there are like, yeah, probably like kind of niche, limited publication. I don't know. Well, yeah, it Maybe turns out. Maybe there's a story here. No, every every point I had is terrible because I was going to say they're blowing it on children's books and on the fact that there's no Pokemon cereal. And then I just made the mistake of there's Googling Pokemon po- cereal. There's, there's absolutely Pokemon, Pokemon cereal. cereal. There's a Pokemon macaroni. That's the only Pokemon food that I'm like intimately you know <laughs> that, that i've eaten and consumed. you know inside and out yeah i mean they could they could expand the scope of that story and just have it be like a collectathon in the same way it's like collect the marshmallow for every pokemon and it's just like a random assortment of pokemon that you get in every box but it's like generally that, just who's that, that pokemon and you just and have no so idea many what preservatives it is in the marshmallows that you can like safely <laughs> yeah. collect them Finally, a use. Of, I can tell my parents why I'm eating all these preservatives. Hell yeah! For okay, my collection, yeah. I can sell these preservatives to people for they, money. They literally made the cereal I described. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Uh, ooh, Bob Buell <laughs> watching us live. Bob Buell suggests Puyo Puyo cereal. Those do. Mm. These do look like great cereal. Except you don't want to get like, them too close together. If you get four, then your cereal is going to disappear. It's a mess. That said, I feel like the Puyo would taste like Peeps. Puyo. Oh. Puyo boba tea. And they're like tapioca <laughs> pearls. Puyo Smart. Puyo pearls. Also, who doesn't love saying Puyo Puyo boba tea? That's one of the funniest <laughs> things a human being can say. <laughs> uh, backstage Pass. Or not Backstage Pass. We're doing this episode live. Uh, but uh, Fancy Pants suggest Fruit Loops with a bunch of Sonic rings. You can make those on like, your own. Just yellow rings. Yeah, I feel like they might have already done that, but I might Maybe. be wrong. Um, I had some thoughts that I wrote down when I saw this question. You go, you all choose your favorites out of these. Are they also wrong, like your Pokemon? <laughs> no, knowledge? these these are so wrong, they're right, Jeff. Um, might oh, I, whole grain cereal, but with marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Might I interest you in, you don't know Apple Jacks? Cinnamon Toast Crash Bandicoot? Lucky Wild Arms? Second Life Cereal? Kicks? Like the arcade game with a Q? Mm-hmm. Kicks? Um... Dead Raisin Bran, Golden Ashley Grams, Honey Nut Cheerio Commies, The Adventures of Cookie Crisp and Cream, Devil May Cry 3 colon Special K Edition, Crisp Across, <laughs> and last but not least, Pop Cap and Crunch. And those are my ideas for video I games. I feel like cereals. the Devil May Cry one is probably the most likely to sell. And it, <laughs> it's, it has the pretense of being more healthy. I don't know. Okay. All right. So you're buying. 
S rank your body. Triple S rank your body or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Fabled Ursa has a game for y'all. He says, it's time to play the Sinoname game. Hang on, I'm just realizing that Surreal said S-rank your body, which is funny. <laughs> um, okay, your objective is to guess the popular game studio. The catch is that each studio's name has been changed with the help of Synonym.com. Are we ready? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Okay, so do you get the idea? No. So you're gonna say you're gonna say something like uh, around technology, and that's supposed to be like from software. Yes. So okay. it's taking the names of game studios and then just turning them into synonyms. Synonyms. Yep. Gotcha. It's starting off easy. Snowstorm. Blizzard. Blizzard. Good job. Insubordinate pup. Naughty, Naughty dog. dog. Killing it. Stone celebrity. Rockstar. Oh, yay, Jeff. Um. Feline noggin. <laughs> Cathead. Close. Large feline. Tiger. Wait, what was the first one you said, Anna? I said lion. Oh, lion head. Lion head. There we go. Yeah. Oh boy, Shinobi philosophy. This is and ninja theory. Good job. I thought that was confusing. <laughs> oh, this is this is a better name. Decade penny. Ten cent. Good job. Computerized crafts. Uh, huh. Um, the past tense is confusing, I guess. But computerized crafts. Um, think of. Oh. Oh, electronic arts. Electronic oh, arts. Oh. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Burst beret. <laughs> Burst beret. Pop cap. Wow, Jeff, I'm killing it. Excellent cage. Excellent. Um, cage is confusing. Um, let's see. Excellent cage. Um, I don't know if any of us are into their games. Maybe we've tried them a little bit. Uh, ten. I'm sorry. Decade penny owns them i think oh, wait no activision owns them i think activision owns them they bought them recently a couple years ago um no. they <laughs> they make mobile games i was gonna say king but that doesn't make sense. oh yeah activision bought king that's what i'm thinking of so tencent owns these guys oh um hmm. excellent um you could call a certain Mario excellent, especially if he's blank Mario. Supercell? There we go. Supercell. That was a terrible oh, hint. Man, man. All right. And the last one is Puyo Puyo Boba Tea. <laughs> I don't know. That's not anything. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, everybody, that submitted a question for us to cover on the podcast. Um, what do y'all like as your favorite? What's the question of the week? Cereal was fun. Cereal was fun. Cereal was great the entire episode. Yeah, Cereal, you should get the prize, not these lousy community <laughs> members. I like the media set in high school. I think that's an interesting, different I one. think that led to the most interesting conversation, for sure. Yeah. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, my computer crapped out for half of that <laughs> answer, but that was a good one. You want to give it to him? Sure. 
All right, congratulations to Jake Zielsdorf. I am 8-Bit will ship you out uh, a wonderful game soundtrack. We check out every, or we recommend everybody check out I am 8-Bit's online store and use the promo code MAXNEWYEAR. 10% off everything, $100 or less. And now it's time for something called Get a Load of This. Get a load of this. Um, <laughs> if you're hip with the times, um, you might have seen it a certain uh, Bernie meme floating around the interwebs. Mm. And um, my get a load of this today is uh, this person um, made a website where you can put Bernie in places using Google Maps Street View. (laughs) So you you can put him anywhere. That's awesome. Um, And I felt that that was kind of taking that to another level. (laughs) Clever. That was definitely his day, right? He was like the star of the show that day. Mm-hmm. He was the Gone biggest on. news of the day is Bernie yeah. sits in a chair. With a stupid <laughs> <Yes. mold. laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, I like the idea of somebody just playing GeoGuessr and just stumbling across a random Bernie Sanders. <laughs> in the world of Bernie of Sanders. <laughs> He's hiding somewhere. Serial, uh, you got one? Yeah, uh, so this is this isn't super recent, but it did happen this year. But uh, a couple, I think it was a couple weeks ago, um, they Polygon put up a cover story about Capcom versus SNK, which is an oral history. Oh, cool. of this series. But I actually found out from this one story that you know in 2014, I think they did an oral history of Street Fighter Two, and since then, I think starting like October or November of last year, they've done all the other street fighters. Um, so you can read like the oral history of the original street fighter. And there's a bunch of like really cool information that you can learn there. Like how street fighter was originally meant to sell those machines that, you know, you punch the controller instead like the buttons and stuff, because they were originally a company that was like, uh, our game can fit into your other machine and you can just reconfigure it versus this one, them trying to get into hardware stuff and how, how much they pitched that and then that ended up being the thing that like led to the three buttons thing and that ended up being way more successful but a lot of interesting tidbits like they, they've done one alpha three uh and then now they're doing the uh, snk series and so they're actually bundling them all into a book called like a hurricane which they you know they, it's up on kickstarter so uh, i i enjoyed the heck out of the series i really liked it a lot so oh, sweet uh most recent one, yeah, was for Capcom versus SNK, but they're all worth reading for sure. Yeah, and actually, uh, our friends of the show, uh, Video Game History Hour, uh, Kelsey Lewin uh, is co-founder, co-director of Video Game uh, History Foundation, but they have that podcast, the Video Game History Hour podcast, which I mentioned before, and uh, Matt Leone from Polygon was on it talking about the origins of Street Fighter and, and working on that series, so I recommend checking that out too. Um, Jeff, um? Yeah, get a load of this. Uh, this this was basically just a an NPR article on uh, a art project that won a that won this big kind of national design award. Um, but it is the guy who made it is Ronald Rael, and it's called uh, I, I think it's just Seesaw Border Wall. But basically, he went to the giant border wall that we built along the U.S.-Mexico border. And if you've seen it, it's it's basically just massive, like, straight-up, you know, iron... iron Brigades. Yes. Beams. No. Yes. Yeah. Iron... Yeah, big iron beams that are supposed to look, you know, super oppressive and everything. And, and there's, there's another... There's another, you know, kind of reinforcement beam that runs along the ground that's, like, three feet tall. And basically, he just... He just brought 
these bright pink seesaws that he put that he affixed in between them so that one side is on US and one side is on Mexico that you know that kids can come up to and kind of seesaw back and forth in between these two walls uh, and it won this big award because it's it it's a really smart and kind of nice way to turn the the whole monstrosity on its head yeah that's interesting uh, uh, links to these articles and stuff are in the descriptions, by the way. Uh, mine is, it was a tweet that caught my eye. Frank Paletta tweeted out, Senator Patrick Leahy from Vermont is now Senate President pro tempore? Tempore? How do you say that, Jeff? Um, yeah. Anyways, point is, Senate President pro tempore, the third in line for presidency of the United States. Also, here's a picture of him getting attacked by Heath Ledger's Joker. I And that just sent me down this rabbit hole that I somehow have completely missed. But this senator, Patrick Leahy, is a huge Batman fan, and they keep putting him in Batman movies. So he's in Dark Knight. He's the guy. He's like, we're not intimidated by thugs. And then the Joker like grabs him at that party and stuff. But he's also in Batman and Robin back in 1997. He was the voice of a character in the Batman animated series. He was in Dark Knight Rises. He was in Batman v Superman. And then he worked on a Batman comic that was about the danger of landmines. And that he said that then other members of Congress read it and they're like, you know what? These landmines are bad. And then they passed legislation banning landmines because <laughs> of Patrick Lee's obsession with Batman. It's surreal. But uh, there's a link below if you want to see the highlight cut of every cameo from this senator for all Batman stuff. Um, but Jeff, did you pull one from the community for get a load of this from the Discord? Yeah, get a load of this. It was almost the Bernie Sanders uh, in Google Maps thing. So oh, wow. good call on that one. Uh, but this one is from Shazira, and it is a video by Daniel West, and he built the world's first universal Lego sorting machine out of what? Legos, I think. I think part of it is. Uh, as you need actual robotics. But basically, it's a, it's a video showing... He can just like dump massive buckets of Lego pieces into this machine and then it sorts it and spits it out into all these different compartments. And it's one of those things that you just have to marvel at. Oh my God. I never the want to engineering stop looking at that. That, that sounds fantastic. amazing. That's yeah. super cool. Uh, thanks everybody for submitting uh, great ones in the Discord. That's always a very fun news feed popping in that wonderful Discord. So thanks everybody in there. Um, things to plug. Um, we have uh, an episode of MinFax, our Patreon exclusive podcast, every single Monday except the last Sunday of every month, we have the call-in episodes. If you support us at the MinMax Council tier, which is the $20 tier, uh, you can call in and actually talk to us about games you've been playing, ask us any question you want, just a good opportunity to open up the lines and let folks podcast with us about whatever they want. And Anna is going to be joining us on this episode. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. going to be Sunday, uh, January 31st. You can call in and talk to Anna, ask her anything, ask me anything. It'll be a good time. So please check us out there. Um, also follow us on Twitch. I'll be streaming the grand finale of Spinny's Journey tomorrow. Come hell or high water, and it's twitch.tv slash minmax show. And again, Dan Reichert and Leo Vader will be playing Hitman 3 soon. So we'd appreciate uh, a nice follow there. Anything else? Anybody else wants to plug? <laughs> Head shaking. That's it, baby. That's it, baby. Thank the you show. so much. That's the show. <laughs> That's the show. And thanks to the following Patreon supporters for their generous support of Midmax at the $50 tier. They are, of course, Chris. Beaten Down Brian, I Am 8-Bit, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Jawar Hello, Mirko, Arico, Toreno, Zachary Pliggy, well, Zachary Pliggy, Mark Seliga, Bucket of Jello, Andrew Valla, Ludwig Roque, Jesse Vitelli, Super Serious Sam, Thomas Hoster, Yarrow, Spiraling Your Eyes, 
you, as in you can get your name here. You support us at the tier throughout the entire month of February. That's weird in there. Anyways, Clint Farley, Richard Smuts, Clayton Myers, Spider Dan, Pretham Yarlagata, Starkiller, Zach Ink, Slick Nick, and Steve Bamdad. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go!